Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Well, it's a little early here in uh, in uh, what used to be sunny Southern California. <laughs> That's uh, so sunny this uh, weekend, huh? Oh my gosh! It, it 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 poured on everybody, especially TCU. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, that now they sent us out a, a little uh, thing last night saying, you know, maybe your your flights might get changed uh, tomorrow. So. So I'm waiting to find out about that. Mudslide's going to hit the uh, LAX. Yeah. (laughs) Along with everything else, it hits LAX uh, out there. So anyway, that's that's nice to look forward to. We've also got Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Hi. I I think we're now renaming this podcast um, the Texas Sports Writer of the Year, and the two also ran since David and I were (laughs) were finalists again for it. And Kevin, I believe this is your sixth win, so congratulations. Thank uh-huh. you very much, Evan. That that, was, that says a lot about this podcast. That all three of us were finalists. How about that? I, 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 I think again, it says you won again. Is what it says. <laughs> I mean, you, you have six. You can't you can't give Evan one and me one and just keep going. <laughs> you know, remember, remember the Katie's when we used to get those? <laughs> yes, I, I had three of those, and then and then the and then the the whole organization disbanded or whatever happened. I don't know. <laughs> and and the last there was a controversy about the last one, and it turned out that the that the person running it. Uh, did not actually hire a judge and just and save the money and then judged it herself. And then so then there was a big thing and I won that. So so then there was a big thing after that about people giving their Katie's back. And I said, are you kidding me? You know, I, I, just because, you know, the, this other judge didn't do it or whatever doesn't mean I didn't deserve it. You know, so I'll hey, get that cold. I'll get that Katie out of my cold, dead fingers. That's what I say. You're just like former presidents and vice presidents who keep all these classified documents. And if, if somebody comes across it, it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll give it back. But otherwise, yeah. you got to find it first. Well, I, yeah. guess we could, I, I guess we're supposed to say congratulations. So we'll say congratulations. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that very much. We're obligated to say congratulations, Kevin, again for well, winning. Well, listen, here's, here's the great thing. I'm only 10 behind Blackie. And that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the best part about it. Just 10 down. Uh, what but, are the odds have, on catching him? Uh, uh, not good. Not good. <laughs> Especially now since I think they've instituted a rule you can't win it two years in a row. So that means I would have to be, work for another 20 years uh, to do that. So that might, <laughs> that might not make it. That was even on a, on a really good, uh, a really good plan and it wouldn't, and that wouldn't work. So, but anyway, but enough of this silly stuff about uh, that, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, we had a big weekend uh, uh, out here. Uh, let's see. We had the uh, in, in local sports. We had the, the Cowboys uh, wrapping up uh, their season against the Commanders and, and making that bold first step into the playoffs. And we had TCU uh, going to the college football playoff game here at SoFi Stadium. And it, it didn't go so well for either one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, it may, it may have been a big weekend. I don't know how satisfying a weekend <laughs> it was for uh, local sports fans. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that game last night, and I'm just thinking, what am I even going to say about this? This is, this is so brutal to watch this happen. And you don't want to just – rain all over TCU's parade. I mean, they, they, well, they were the underdog, right? They were 13-point underdogs. That, that was the first time there had even been a double-digit spread on a championship game. And and so, you know, you 
it, it just feels like you were picking on somebody to, to to do that. But my gosh, to lose by 58 points, they just obliterated, you know, the uh, um, the USC Oklahoma game in the 2005 Orange Bowl when, when USC won the championship with the 36 point win. Kevin, I'll I'll um I'll leave the joke alone about you not knowing what to write. Um, but I, I will say that you're not alone on that because before the end of the first half, um, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit were basically saying, "I, I just don't know what to say." I, I and, and they said it on more than one occasion because there just wasn't anything really to say. I, I, you know, as a Georgia fan, I thought Georgia played really well, but TCU also did not. TCU looked rattled. And played poorly, and and we'll get more into what all of that means. Um, but in the meantime, we've got enough hand wringing right now on the Cowboys, right? Yes, we do. My gosh, twenty six to six. Uh, you know, I have finally learned that that you know everybody talks about the uh, NFL being a week to week, or usually they used to say it's a year to year proposition. Now it's a week to week proposition with the NFL, and and especially with the Cowboys. You just you just never know what you're going to get with these guys. And losing to Washington 26 to six in a game that was uh, Dak's worst, certainly this season. Uh, David, where did that, where does that rank all time in, in uh, Dak Prescott's football performances? Oh, it's in the conversation. If you want to go back through the years and, and get his worst performances, uh, I, I think you can include that and go from there. It, it clearly, one of his worst five, I, I may even say worst three off the top of the head. No question this year. Um, you know, he, there's some other games. He, he has not played well against Denver uh, really a couple of times. And those come to mind. But uh, but for an inexplicable performance like he had, which was now we, we've talked about and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about again today, his penchant for turnovers here of late and pick sixes. And he had another one. But even with that, while he hasn't been particularly efficient over these last two months, this offense has been explosive. It's been the number one offense in the league with him at the controls. And and to go from that to what we saw, um, you know, Sunday afternoon and Dallas had 15 offensive possessions in that game. Only three of the 15 times did they snap the ball more than three times. Only three out of the 15. I I don't remember uh, a Cowboys game that that was that uh, ineffective offensively. Uh, You know, the closest this year was the opener against, guess who, Tampa Bay. Um, you know, they struggled there, but this was, this was just out of nowhere. There, there weren't any red flags to go, okay, they're building or they're declining toward this moment. It just kind of hit out of nowhere. So now how do you put that into the context of the playoff starting eight days later? And, and I will say very quickly for all these people saying, yeah, but you know, they were really locked in and, and what did it mean? Well, Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia all had a chance to to come away from this weekend with the one or two seed. Those other two teams could, took care of business. Dallas did not. So to me, that just just opens the gap in the questions going into this postseason. Yeah, they, they began that game with something. The bottom line is the Cowboys began that game with something to play for, and they yes. did not play like a team. They did not appear to be a team playing for anything. I mean, the, the, it was at, at 325, 
the situation was wide open based on whatever happened with the Giants yeah. and the Eagles. And the Cowboys did not show up at all. So, And San Francisco was a close game in the first half. They didn't break that open until the second half. And, um, and you know, the Giants started coming back on Philadelphia. So if Dallas would have had a game, that would have put a little more pressure on Philadelphia to finish out that game. And, it, and the dynamics were different. So they just they didn't hold up their part of the bargain whatsoever. And uh, that, that makes you wonder a, a little bit about them, I think, going into this. And I think that's the thing for me is that, as you wrote, you know, they had, they had, the Cowboys had talked all, all week about all how week. It, about how important it was for them to win this game. And, and, and don't I, and listen I, to us. Take what all of them were saying uh, in unison going into the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I want to hear because that because frankly, that's what always bugs me when you walk into the locker room after the game where you sit through the press conferences and you hear the answers. And and, and I think this is what bugs a lot of Cowboys fans too. It's like you just want somebody to own up to it. You just want somebody to say, you know what. This is inexcusable. We came in here. We should have. We should have taken care of business, and we didn't do that. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think I think just acknowledging that and, and saying it in that fashion uh, it, it is not saying we we necessarily have doubts about ourselves. It's just it's just acknowledging the truth and and having some accountability. But I got to ask you, David, considering everything that's happened, uh, and, and let me go back to uh, you know the, the question I asked. You know, C.D. Lamb. That when I and I said, "Who are y'all? You're all the team that that, that lost, you know, got hammered by Green Bay, or came back the next went the week and, and and won big." And he said, "What kind of question is that? You know, he's clearly we're this team, the team that won big." And it's like I, I think that that C.D. Lamb and other people have got to be asking themselves that question now, aren't they? Aren't they saying, "Man, who are we? I don't I don't know who we are." The answer is they're both, right? Yes. <laughs> and I, yeah, that's what, know, that's what Jaron Kerr said. Yeah, we're yeah. both. Yeah. And, and you can get either one. And, and that's the, the element of the unknown that's going to frighten Cowboy fans that have gone 26 years without a team getting past the divisional round. And, um, you know, again, there, there, there's so much to unpack here, but but we talk about this disconnect between the, the regular season and the postseason because if you look – at the last two regular seasons, there is only one team in the league with a better record than the Cowboys. Just one, and that's Kansas City. Dallas has a better regular season record than Buffalo, than Cincinnati, than San Francisco. But you mentioned those other three teams, and I think everybody right away will go, oh, or they're, more, they're legitimate contenders this year in the postseason. Dallas isn't. And, and that's because Dallas – the, the, the regular season success, when they do have it, it doesn't translate into the postseason. And, and to me, what the Washington game did was for long-suffering Cowboy fans who have a lot of emotional scars, tissue built up through the years, you look over the course of the regular season and go, well, but this year could be a little different because, look, Dallas has a winning record against teams with a winning record this year. They didn't have that last year. They have a winning record against playoff teams this year. They didn't have that the last two to three times they went into the postseason. This group could be a little bit different. And then you get that performance, and it just hits everyone on top of the head. It's like, you know what? You don't really care what happens in the regular season with this team anymore. The only way it can change its narrative is by what happens in the postseason. You suspended dis you suspended belief for 18 weeks. You knew for 18 weeks that whatever they did in the regular season wasn't going to move the needle for you. And now you're in the postseason. You're waiting for the me needle to move. 
And emotionally, you're just going, this team, after that performance, come on. I, I think, you know, this, this is a story I'm actually working on this week, right, is Cowboy fans and their reactions and kind of the generation gap between fans who who experienced the 70s and who experienced the 90s and in a lot of cases, they're kids who grew up and have known nothing but lack of playoff success. And what what has stood out to me is that even even these people who who claim themselves to be die hard, hard cowboy fans now have no expectations anymore about the playoffs. There is zero expectation among their fan base, um, and, and certainly that I, I don't know if that juju is out there in the atmosphere and in any way impacts this team. But the bottom line is that there's not going to be any expectations externally until the Cowboys do actually do something in, in, in the postseason. So they're going to have to live with that and that question of which team are you until they prove otherwise. Well, in, in all fairness, I'll say this. I think that was out there even before, right? I mean, d- didn't we all think that, okay, it doesn't really matter what kind of season the Cow- Cowboys put up. They're going to have to go somewhere in the playoffs. They're going to they're gonna have to get past the first round. Uh, they're they're going to really, and then as the season builds along and, and the rest of the league looks so terrible, the uh, rest of the conference, surely, that, that they have to get to the, the, you know, the NFC Championship game, and they'd probably have to win that uh, for this to be considered a really successful season, given everything that's happened around them. So, you know, I, I'm not, not, I'm not uh, dismissing what you're saying. I think that's right. You're absolutely right. And, and what's happened is that because everything has been so terrible in the last couple of weeks, that there's a, there's that feeling that, well, they're not going to be able to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to reserve a judgment on all this. You know, if they, if they, if they go out against the Bucks and they finally beat Tom Brady, they, they're, they're 0 and 7 against him in his career. They, he's already beaten them once this season, uh, and, and made them look, and they look terrible in, in, in the opener as a result. And that's when Dak got hurt and, and the whole season seemed to, was going to cave in. And then they pulled themselves out of that morass and, and somehow ended up at this point. I think it's all fine, well and good. But David, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question here, and I feel like we buried the lead. If Mike McCarthy does not win this game against the Bucks, if if they play like they did against the Commanders, if they get embarrassed again like they did last year in the first round playoff game against the 49ers, is he gonna get fired? Well, the fact that last year Jerry Jones went silent for eight to 10 days and let him twist in the wind, um, shows his dissatisfaction with last year, and then fully admitted that, hey, I expected us to do more this this year with this team, especially with a home playoff game. Um, if you follow that up, it, it's a matter of degrees here, right? I, I think if... Um, if Brady leads another remarkable comeback and it's a defensive failure at the end on Dallas's part, uh, a, a guy that's done it throughout his career, that's a little different than having another performance like Washington. Now, if you have another performance like you did against Washington and go out, I, I think it's all on the table because now you're three years in to uh, Mike McCarthy and he was brought in here for one purpose and one purpose only to get you past the divisional round of the post. They felt this team was ready-made to go forward. Now, that first year with the pandemic, some personnel uh, miscalculations, they were not. But this team over the last two years clearly is. And as, and as Kevin, you talked about earlier, the I would argue the NFC is still wide open. 
Um, I think I think you're going to look back at this playoff field a lot differently three weeks from now than maybe you do right now. I don't know that there's a clear cut favorite to come out of this. And if there's not, uh, if anything, I think probably most people would side with San Francisco now based on what they did last year. And think about that. You're making that statement with a seventh round rookie quarterback leading the way. Is that not going to raise its head over the course of the postseason? Um, so all of these teams, and, and I know we're going to go through and pick apart the, the red flags with the Cowboys here and they're legitimate, but in my mind, every team in the NFC has a red flag going into this postseason. And sure. the thing is Dallas has been in that situation before and has never emerged. They haven't emerged as the number one seed. They're the number five seed going in this year. Uh, at some point they just have to emerge to make themselves relevant. And, and going back to what you were saying, Evan, I, I've, I've maintained for the, the better part of a decade here that, that the Cowboys are the Kardashians of the NFL, uh, that, that people love to talk about them. Uh, uh, you, you can't avoid them. Uh, and but the wreck that the Cowboys are. They, I mean, that's exactly. That's really but as far as competitive relevance, it's not there. They are the Kardashians of the NFL. And until they start to win in the postseason, that will continue to be the case in my mind. I don't even understand Jerry is. I just want to say one thing about this, about this before we take our little poll here. Uh, if the Cowboys play as poorly as they did against Washington, if they get embarrassed in the playoffs and they're out, I'm going to say that that Jerry Jones is going to go to Sean Payton and say, not so fast on that Denver thing, okay? <laughs> I, 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 Kevin, I, I, I'm guessing that there's been some back-channel communication already to say, hey, before you take anything in Denver, you may want to wait and see what happens in the first round in Dallas with Dallas. Yeah, no question about that. Although I, I have to say this too, I don't know where it, it, Sean Payton's going to have his choice of anywhere he wants to go. Right? There, every job that's up, every job that's about to be up, you know, there may be jobs out there where the head coaches have no idea that they were uh, up for dismissal because of Sean Payton hanging around out there. You know. This is. It reminds me of that scene in, in uh, the the Help, where uh, Jessica Chastain walks into that that party at the uh, at the end, and uh, and the, the, uh, they look at her, and, and somebody says, "Oh my gosh, women, hold on to your man." And, and I think that's exactly what's going going through uh, everybody's minds now with Sean Payton waltzing into the uh, at the uh, postseason here. All right. All so right. I want to pose a question. Right. Okay. Go ahead, Evan. So I, I think over the past. Over the second half of the season, we've seen lots of red flags emerge about the Cowboys after a really bright start. And I've heard from different factions, different things. And I think we've all got a different opinion on what the biggest red flag is going into this this game at Tampa Bay. And so, Kevin, since you are the oldest and the reigning Texas sports writer of the year, I will let you choose what you think is the biggest red flag for the Cowboys as they approach this Tampa Bay game. Well, like everything else, I like, I'm like i going to take the easy uh, way here, and, I, and I'm going to say uh, a Dak is at this point. Because, look, uh, he's every quarterback in every NFL team is the, uh, the lightning rod for that team's uh, chances, or at least that is the way it normally is. It's not that way for the 49ers right at the moment, uh, as David pointed out, with a seventh-round draft pick suddenly guiding this team uh but 
I got to tell you, I I have to believe that this is part of the problem with the the Cowboys mindset at this point. It's that, you know, Dak is their leader. They all unite behind him. They all his teammates all love him. And and to see him struggle this way, um, you know, I, I get a lot of stuff from people. Of course, there's a lot of Dak haters out there and I hear from them all the time. And no matter what he does and uh, and they make it seem like. He's never been any good, and well, that's crazy. We've we've seen Dak be very good. He's been among the best quarterbacks in the league. I certainly would have said going into this season, Dak was in the top ten. And then, and then as this season progressed, and we saw the you know what happened to Aaron Rodgers and what happened to Tom Brady, uh, you know he he was moving his way up to the top five, uh, frankly. And then all of a sudden, he's hit this stretch now where he has suddenly, uh, you know. He, he looks like Benny Testaverde out there, you know, looks pretty good for a while. Then all of a sudden throws just a back breaking interception. Um, and I think I go back to what David said earlier. And I think it's what happening here. And I, I really think this is the issue. I think that at this point, Dak has just been stubborn. I, I think he has decided that, no, I'm not the bus driver. I, I am a guy who is a, who's one of the top five or six quarterbacks in this league, I can make this throw. I can make this happen. And he is now forcing balls into windows too tight for him. He's never been a, a, a significantly accurate quarterback. He has always been a quarterback who was very safe with the ball. That's for all the people that talk about Dax. Oh, he throws these interceptions. That was not Dak. You know, when he, when he came into the league as a rookie, you know, that was the thing I, I noticed about him right away was, He's throwing the ball to Cole Beasley. Tony Romo never threw the ball to Cole Beasley. And he's and he was throwing it to Beasley because Beasley was always open. And that was the thing that Dak did. He was just so careful with the ball. Uh, you know, he's not terribly accurate, but he's throwing to the open man. So that's all that matters, right? But now what we see with Dak, especially this year, and especially in this really bad run, is that I can make this throw. And it's like, no, you can't. You you can't make that. There might be people who could make this throw. Joe Burrow might make this throw. You know, uh, uh, you know, Justin Herbert might make this throw. Patrick Mahomes might make this throw, but but you can't make it, and you shouldn't try to make it. And I think until he realizes that he can't do that, I think that the Cowboys are going to be a quick exit in the playoffs. I, I before David, before you go on this, the, the one thing for me, and, and I think you'd have a better opinion on this, is I know the, the the routes that stand out though in this in this stretch as the worst decisions. They're not like he's thrown the ball deep downfield. They're simple flat routes or outs that are just really bad decisions. Not like I'm going to take a chance and force a play downfield. It, it, it's plays that should not be turned around for 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 turner for turnovers. Yeah, and very quickly, I'd, I'd say the, the the glaring example of this, if you want to go with, came in the Washington game where he threw the out, uh, should have been picked. It was not. It was dropped. And what did he do? He came back on the exact same play in the same place. It's almost like, I'll show you. You're not going to back me down. Uh, I have trust in my receivers. I have trust in myself. We're going to make this work. I'm going to show you we can thread the needle and be perfect here. And the very next play, it's a pick six. Why did you go back to that again unless there is ego involved, unless there's this insistence of, you know what, I'm struggling a little bit. 
but I can make this perfect. I can make it right. And I think there's an element, I think Dak's in his head a little bit right now of he's so conscientious and, mm-hmm. and he knows he's making too many mistakes, but he wants to show it's not going to impact my aggressiveness. We're still going to take shots. I'm still going to show trust in receivers. Well, you can do that, but that doesn't mean you have to throw to Noah Brown in five situations in, in coverage. <laughs> you know, you can trust him, but you also have to trust not to put him in positions where he doesn't have as good a chance to succeed. And too often when you talk about trust, that element is left out of it. Yeah, I want to say really quickly about that because I want to build on that before we go to the other, other two guys here is that he also doesn't have those kind of receivers. You know, no, Noah exactly. Brown is not a guy who knows to come back for the ball, to fight for the ball. You know, we, we've seen receivers knocked off their routes by defensive backs this year. That's the problem with the Cowboys. You know, what what Dak needs if he's going to throw routes like this is a Des Bryant. You know, he needs a fi- guy who's going to win those 50-50 balls, and he just he just doesn't have one of those kind of – even as great a year as, as Lamb is having, he's not that kind of receiver. You, you don't really see CD go up and take a ball away from somebody. You know, he he just tries to – if he's open, then he's great. If he's not open and it's it's one of those situations, he's not so great. So that's that's the thing he has to know as well. Dak has to be cognizant of the fact that, you know what, I don't I don't have that kind of receiver. You know, I don't, I don't have the Jamar, Ch- <clears throat> Jamar Chase. I don't have that kind of guy. So, David, if, if, if you get past the Dak thing, then what concerns you? Well, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball, <laughs> and, and it's the run game. Uh, got off to a slow start, finished very slow because of some issues in the offensive line. Uh, when Dallas was at its best this year, you saw the run game and how they used Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, it all made sense. It was a good mix. They kept defenses back on their heels. Uh, it allowed Dak more play action. Here's the other thing. How much play action did we see against Washington? And I think that's when Dak said his best. You didn't have it because you weren't getting anything on the ground. So there was no uh, – the, the the play action fake was giving you nothing and, and not buying you any time. So uh, the, the run game has to get back to where it was for the majority of the season. Uh, I, I still think that can be there. I, I think that uh, – Tony Pollard, they were very, very judicious with how they used him down the stretch. Um, You know, Elliott wasn't overworked. Elliott didn't look good in the stretch, I didn't think, but there was nothing in the run game. And and the thing is, you know, that's what Tampa Bay took away from Dallas in the opener. They just said, we're going to take the run game away from you. Uh, And remember, at that game, they didn't have Michael Gallup back, uh, and they were even more compromised at receiver than they are at the moment. And uh, the, the Tampa Bay linebackers just shut down and the defensive front just shut down the Cowboys run game and forced the game into Dak's hands and he didn't respond. Uh, I would imagine the Bucks will do that again in this game as well. They want to make Dallas one dimensional. Dallas cannot afford to be one dimensional. You saw what happened uh, in the opener against Tampa Bay when they were. You saw what happened against Washington when they were. And, and by and large, you saw they were a one-dimensional team against Tennessee as well. And, and you saw how that game played out and how difficult it was. Uh, so th- they've got to be better in the run game. Well, I, I, I guess this leaves me the defense. And I, it, it's, a nice, it's, a, it's a nice problem to have left over if you're looking for problems. But I, listen, the first half of the season, I was convinced that this Cowboy team was a legitimate Super Bowl contender strictly based on the case that I thought they had as good a defense as anybody in the NFL, if not the best. I don't know, and I'm I'm looking for help here. I I don't know why 
it appears like the pass rush has somewhat disappeared and why the Cowboys are not making plays on defense anymore. I, uh, certainly the turnover, the, the, the turnover takeaways are still there, but they've almost been mitigated uh, to a neutral by the number of offensive turnovers. What's happened to Micah Parson, David? He is, um, again, he's an undersized pass rusher, right? So you would assume over the course of the season that could wear on you a bit. Uh, he is still getting close. His pressures are still up there. He's just not getting to the quarterback, but he's still in there and close enough to impact the play. Um, and, but but this is interesting because early in the season, you didn't have the turnovers, but you had the pass rush that was kind of dictating everything. Then the pass rush started to dissipate, and then they turned back to the turnovers and starting forcing more of those. And, and they did finish. They led the league in turnovers for the second consecutive year, and that's the first defense to do that since Pittsburgh back in the 70s. So Dallas has done something here in turnovers, and and, and that saved them. So I, I still maintain they had enough of a pass rush where the turnovers – were viable, but but they need to get back to that pass rush, especially against a quarterback like Tom Brady, who, while he will get the ball out quickly, isn't mobile. So you're going to have to impact him and make him move around in the pocket. I don't know that you're going to get a lot of sacks, but you have to impact how he throws the ball, and, and they've got to be at their best. And, and let's face it, overall, you know, Dallas is going to have to make this run on the road. Uh, they're four and four on the road this season. This team isn't as good on the road as it has been at home this year. That's been a noticeable difference. Hey, well, the last time the Cowboys won a, a playoff road game was... 92. That 90. would be the <laughs> NFC Championship game back in 1992, Kevin. 1992, 30 years, my gosh. Alvin Harper. Yeah. You know, you know, to the point of the road, they're also one and four on grass this year. Um, and they will be playing on grass in Tampa Bay. And I, I, I've always thought that one of the strengths of this this defense was its speed, and if the grass slows them down just a little bit, does that take that edge away? I thought David. I thought when he said that at first, he was referring to the fact that they're one and four when they're stoned. Well, you do have to clarify in today's NFL in a way you did not ten years ago when you when you <laughs> allege a team grass. playing on grass. <laughs> <laughs> David just went right over that. Oh my gosh, they're one and four on grass. <laughs> oh my gosh okay uh let's, all right let's let's go across the board here what's, what's everybody think is going to happen here uh we'll start we'll let david go last it's he's the expert and uh and evan, <laughs> evan you, you go don't first. believe that but i yeah, uh, you just wanted me to go last but well, yeah well, you're a better expert than i am <laughs> that's for sure i listen i'm very I, I will just say i'm very very concerned about the dallas cowboys and all the reasons that i thought this team was a super bowl contender at midseason have evaporated for me that said, uh, I don't think an NFC South team should be in the playoffs this year. Um, and for no other reason than I still think that Tom Brady has shown his age, even though he's rallied a little bit this in the second half here. I just feel like the Cowboys' law of averages, numbers, age, all of that stuff will eventually kind of catch up. And I've got Dallas winning this game. Uh, by a field goal, I'm I'm gonna go twenty seven twenty four. Okay, I'm gonna say uh, uh, 
the Bucks twenty four twenty one. I, d- I just don't see it. I don't think you can just flip a switch. Uh, I do believe a little bit in moment. I, I know that David pointed out last year, the Cowboys pounded Philadelphia in the last game of the regular season, and then went out and laid that egg against the Forty ers That's certainly possible. I think that can happen. I just I just don't feel comfortable about this team. I think that Brady started to play better now, uh, and uh, and I think he when he smells the playoffs, he it. it sends him back to a different time. So I, I'm, I'm saying uh, Bucks 24-21. I go on, if this is the team that we believe we saw for 16 out of 18 weeks of the regular season, if you put any sort of faith into that body of work, um, certainly Dallas doesn't go into these, this postseason overconfident, right? Yeah. Uh, how can they how can they do that? They I mean, they were hit upside the face going into this the, the postseason. If they needed a reminder about feeling good about themselves or, um, well, we're a better team than Tampa Bay. Based, based on what we've seen this season, Dallas is a better team than Tampa Bay. All these red flags we're talking about with Dallas. Dallas won four more games in the regular season than Tampa Bay. Four more games. Uh, they're better across the board. I, I think the only reason you don't say Dallas is because of the of the disbelief that is built up over the last twenty six years that you're going to see them do anything positive in the postseason. I think Dallas is the better team. I think it should win this game, even though it's on the road. I, I think, despite what happened in the opener, this is a good matchup for them. And you're going to have to, if you're a different team, you're going to have to win some of these games. So I, I say Dallas. I'm, I'm hesitant to pick a score at this point, this early in the week, but but I, I would say Dallas should win this game. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, Cowboys segment of this podcast. Uh, we're going to talk now a little bit about the uh, college football playoff and the TCU Horned Frogs who uh, who got here and were one win away from their first national title since 1938. And now they're just one year further away from 1938. Uh, and I think that the question that Evan asked uh, in the opening segment about whether, gosh, is, is when you lose by 58 points, when you obliterate what had been the biggest blowout loss in the uh, history of the, of the championship games, is this, is this really good? I mean, what, how do you build off this? I mean, at, after the game, Sonny Dykes was was fumbling around and trying to say how this could have happened, and uh, and, he, and he was making the comments of the you you learn from this. Well, I mean, I don't know what you learn from something like that. You just survive something like that. You don't learn from it, uh, and and I I have to to look at that and and think. You know, when, when you walk away, I, when you go into the the to a, uh, a recruit's living room, and they ask you, "Wow, what happened in that championship game?" I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, you you know, normally you would say, "Well, you're going to help us get that or get back to that place." Well, if you lose by by twenty points, which I certainly thought was a possibility going into the game, eh, okay, not great, but you know, there you go. It was a nice season anyway. But when you lose by 58 points that just feels like i wish we hadn't even gotten there yeah I, I was i was telling my my lovely wife who was with me on this trip yesterday i said i have to explain these historical things you know to her and i said to me it's a little bit like the the buffalo bills who went to four straight super bowls right and what an accomplishment to do that 
to, to, you know, to win your league four times and go to the Super Bowl. But does anybody really look at it like that? Everybody remembers that and they almost became a punchline. But the fact they just they couldn't win a Super Bowl. They got there four times in a row. But nobody says what a team that was. I mean, maybe they do in Buffalo. Maybe they have some appreciation for it now. But that's not what the national perception of, the, of what that was at all. And I feel like that's kind of what that was last night. And listen, I, I think in that's more pronounced on a college level because you've got to go into a recruit's home and you've got to win them basically with your word um, as opposed to the NFL where, you know, you've got draft rights and, and to some extent free agency. I, I mean, you're, if you're Sonny Dykes now, just like you said, Kevin, I mean, you're basically going into a recruit's home at this point in time and going to have to defend yourself in some regards. Because I think that is going to be the first question that everybody happened. Like, hey, great year. What happened, man? How, why were you guys so overmatched, outclassed? Um, and, and, and so that was the thing that kept running through my mind, really, from the middle of the second quarter on, is the, you know, the guys on the broadcast lost any sense of being able to talk about what's at stake in the game. And it was all about, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And then the last 30 minutes were clearly just a coronation of what of what Georgia has become. But it's almost like TCU wasn't there. And and so my question that, that I think is going to have to be answered is, ultimately, does this uh, does it do more harm than had you played Michigan as the number three seed and loss in the semifinals on a game-ending field goal or something like that um, to have gone to the championship game and, and, and walked out embarrassing. I feel bad about saying that, but I just think that's all that's at stake when you're trying to win against 60 other top programs for a recruit. Well, and that's the, uh, I mean, that, and, and in today's world with social media even more, you're constantly battling to control the narrative, right? And and TCU did that all season. I mean, how many, what was it, five or six top 20 teams they beat along the way? And and every time they beat a top 20 team, it's like, oh, well, that that was nice. Give TCU that. But I mean, yeah, they're, look, we all know they're not up there, right? And so you you litigate that conversation throughout the regular season and you go over it over and over again and people dig into their trenches and pick their sides. And now you get, you know, now you're going, Oh, well, they're one of the final four teams, but, but Michigan's going to destroy them. They're going to expose them. So then they beat Michigan and you're finally going, well, okay, maybe I was wrong about them. And all it took was the first half, you know, Monday night and everyone who was dubious about TCU, even being there from the start went, see, told you they didn't belong. You know, this whole season was they perpetrated a fraud on the college football system. And yeah. that's just how people think these days. And that's why, uh, Evan, I agree with you. As far as building the program, it would be easier to go to recruits and say, look how close we were if they would have lost a close game to Michigan. Look, we were a Final Four team. You can dismiss us. But look, if it hadn't been for this call or this play, we would have won that game. Yeah, I, 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 this is the thing that, uh, uh, to give you some perspective about that. So uh, uh, I texted Gary Level, our sports editor, uh, on Monday afternoon, and I said, listen, what I'm going to do is here, I wasn't down to do this, but uh, Tuesday morning, I'm going to write about uh, 
uh, Sonny, win or lose. And I'm going to talk about the fact that uh, what he has tried to do is um, cast himself as kind of the anti-coach. You know, if you look at the press conference on Sunday between Kirby Smart and Sonny Dykes, it was Kirby Smart, old school, um, you know, Sonny Dykes, new school. Uh, Sonny was talking about, you know, the portal and how great it was. And we already knew that about Sonny, right? He 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 embraced the portal when he was at SMU. Yeah, you, you bet. Come, uh, let, come on board. The, TCU has 24 guys who came through the portal uh, at, on their roster Monday night. Georgia had four. So, so well, Georgia doesn't need those, right? They, they're getting those the kids they want out of high school. So the, you know, they don't have to do that. But TCU has to live a different way. And that's what Sonny knows. Like Kirby Smart can continue to be kind of what is this, you know, he's, he's like Vince Dooley. I mean, he's, he's like somebody from another era who is a, the head coach. At one point, he's talking about Javon Bullard. And that's really funny, you know, that he mentioned him because he had two interceptions in the game and, and basically uh, ended any of uh, TCU's hopes just by himself. Uh, and what, what someone had asked about him and what, you know, what about this kid? What does he mean? And so Kirby went on and on about how, well, this guy, he really is a tough guy. You know, he, he's hurt all the time, but he never comes off the field. He always wants to play hurt and he, and he does play hurt. So it, that's a good example to the rest of the guys. If Javon can play, then I'm going to play too. And, I, and I'm thinking while he's saying all this, this is so backwards. You know, you, you can't encourage players to play when they're hurt. I mean, that, that's that's something like from the 70s. You, you, you can't do that in this day and age. And you can't sell that to to players. You come here to my place. Hey, you better stay on the field, pal, because that's what we do here. And, and and meanwhile, you go back over to Sonny and Sonny's not trying to contradict him. But there was another question about another player. And he goes, well, we need to think about these guys. The biggest thing for these the players is their health and their mental health as well. And he's, he's talking about all these issues. He's putting the players first. He's he's saying all these things. He's saying all the right things. And he's and he's making this case for TCU and himself as a place where, hey, you come here. It's a new it's a new land, pal. But after all of that, I feel like uh, calling Gary back and saying, let's bag that. OK, <laughs> because after after Monday night, you know, it's just hard to make that case uh, when, when you when you get beat that badly. I just I don't know if that's the the case you need to be making is that all anybody hears in their head is, you know, sixty five to seven. And I, listen, I think Sonny, you know, my take on what I just got out of your translation of the press conference is Sonny's doing what Sonny still needs to do, which is sell, and that's what TCU has to be. Um, Georgia has to Georgia has to state to everybody, look. You're gonna have to stay. You're going to have to do stuff to stay on the field here because we have a higher level of expectation. Um, I do think, and I, I tweeted this at one point in time during the game. I really do feel like, and and I think I said this to you, Kevin, last week, that while Kirby comes from that Nick Saban school, and and certainly he is something of a throwback of a coach, I do feel like this is a guy who, in his time at Georgia has grown exponentially in how he handles situations and players. I think he was masterful in both playoff games. Um, that timeout against Ohio State was maybe the play of the entire playoffs um, right before the fake punt. And I think the way he handled Stetson Bennett really got Stetson to a point where he was going to be at peak performance going into the championship. 
But I guess my point here is all these coaches go through some level of evolution. Now, I don't know what the next step is for Sonny. You go into a place, you you, you take your team to the championship game in your first year, um, but you still got to sell. I I don't know what the next step in the evolution of Sonny Dykes is, and that's what I'll be interested to see. Well, if you're Sunday, though, and you're like you were saying, Evan, and you're and you're selling because you have to, because that's where you are. Don't you come out of that game saying, look, you know what? We overreached. We exceeded expectations of what people thought. But you know what? We deserve to be here. We're coming back here when we're in this environment. The next time we're going to play better. This is, you know, you 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 spin it forward. You go that we belong. but but I think they were also devastated last night. They couldn't even they couldn't even get that out. I mean, I think it was just, oh my gosh, how how do you explain this? Well, if you're constantly selling, you got to say that you know what, we just got to where we wanted to go sooner than what we thought. So maybe this is the consequence of that. But we're coming back. You be ready for us. The next time you see us here, this ain't going to happen. Yeah, I, I would say that the 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 best case Sonny can make is that we beat Michigan, didn't we? You know, and, and I think that's yeah. that's the thing. If if they got beaten the semifinals, sixty five to seven, well, yeah. then yeah, you could really say uh, we we don't belong here. Well, you beat Michigan, and so for everybody, and, and no one expected them to beat them. So I I do think that uh, if Sonny in inside all those comments, I thought that the truest thing he said was is that you know maybe we just basically we regressed to the mean a little bit here, right? We we had an unbelievable season. We it was there were a lot of emotion in all those games, right? You know, six comebacks in the second half. You know, that that does take a lot out of a team after a while. You know, it, it, you can say it builds your confidence, but you can also say that it exacts a, a, a high price. You, you, we all saw what, what Max Duggan looked like after the Big Twelve Championship game, right? Just sobbing up there on the on the podium you know because of that loss and because he thought that they had you know that lost their chance at the uh you know at cfp so i do think there was a certain amount of that that they had they had put so much into all of this and it was emotional they had to be emotional right they didn't have the talent to stack up with georgia across the board everybody knew that they 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 did have now s- several really good players right you got quentin johnston he's he's projected as a top 15 pick you got kendra miller who didn't play actually but a very good running back who's going to play in the nfl you you got uh trey hodges tomlinson who who might be the first cornerback off the board you know ladanian's uh nephew so uh that's some real talent and and those guys did you know, except for Kendrick, you know, well, what you saw last night, Quentin Johnson had one catch for three yards. You know, he doesn't usually catch a lot of passes, but he usually catches about a 40 or 50 or 60 yarder every game and, and helps them win. Those things all had to happen, right? All those guys had to be on the field and they all had to play really well. One of them didn't even get on the field and, and one of them, didn't do anything. And then, you know, and, and Max didn't play well. And I felt like that was the difference too, that if, if he played really well, I thought he could play uh, Stetson Bennett but because he's a threat running the ball and, and Stetson really isn't. Uh, so I thought that could be a, a difference maker and none of those things happened. So I don't think it's bad that they lost. Uh, certainly not at all. No one would think that it's just the, the weight of those 58 points on them. And that's going to be the problem for them going forward. So we'll see what they do. I do think that TCU, 
can be good. You know, they had what six players from, you know, six transfers who were on campus while they were out here, three of them from Alabama. So they're, they're getting players. Sonny will continue to get players. He's really good at that. I think the issue will be, well, now what happens if Garrett Riley leaves and gets a, you know, he's the offensive coordinator, Lincoln's little brother. If, uh, if he gets a head coaching job, which I suspect he probably will, if he wants it, it's just a, a question of well, what job is open. Uh, you know, that, that, that can be problematic for them. Who does Sonny replace it with? Now, Sonny is an offensive coach. So you would think, you know, it, worse comes to worse. He can find somebody that, uh, he could do it himself, right? And then let's have a have an offense coordinator in name only. But Sonny has always cast himself as a CEO. That's kind of really what his strong point is as a head coach. Does he really want to do that? So there are things that can happen here. Uh, the, the flip side of it is, and certainly in the Big Twelve, who's who's hunting TCU, right? I mean, who out there? Texas, Texas isn't. Oklahoma isn't. They're only going to be in the league another year anyway. Uh, I don't know that. Either one of those teams are, are really ready to challenge what TCU has done. Maybe they will. Maybe Quinn Ewers gets straightened out. You know, maybe Arch Manning, you know, becomes a star right away. I don't know. But uh, as far as the Big 12 are concerned, I think that TCU can go, come right back up to the top of that. They make the right moves here. Uh, Chandler Morris was had beaten out Max in the in practice, and that's why he was the starting quarterback. They'll tell you on on the TCU campus that that Chandler was better every day in practice than Max Duggan was. Uh, but once he got hurt, Max got his shot again, and he just took off. So it was a magical season. It ended with a big old fat bust. Kevin, we got to get out of here, but I, I I did have one other question for you because everything comes back to UT. Um, at halftime. David Pollock, the Georgia alum, was on the roundtable on ESPN, and he was sitting next to Nick Saban. Well, I, I still wonder why Nick Saban uh, subjects himself to this. If he's not in the playoffs, man, <laughs> just go home. Don't. They, I think he's. I actually think he's good on TV with what he has to offer, but I, I don't know why you'd put yourself there. But Pollock, who was a pretty intense player himself, had the gall to basically say right to Nick that, that Georgia is now the benchmark of college football. And they are. I, they've got back-to-back national championships. Um, but the team that will and, and they're favorites to win it again. Well, and if they're not, Alabama will be. And and so my question is, this is what OU and Texas are getting into. Do they do they know what they're asking for on a competitive level? Do they have any idea? You know, even before all this, I would have said that, right? Uh, and I've said it about A and M when A and M went to the SEC. Uh, when we, we we all thought that when Arkansas, and that was a different time. The SEC had really had not grown into the corporation that it is today when Arkansas went. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it, it is going to be really hard for. Uh, for Texas and Oklahoma, both. I don't think they have, and I, I wrote this the, the day the, both of them got hired, or, or maybe it was a little bit after that. Uh, will will these guys, will Steve Car- Sarkeesian and Brent Venables still be the head coaches at their schools when they get into the SEC? I mean, I think that's how, that's how desperate the situation is. I think another bad season at, in Austin might do Steve's in. I, I I just don't I just don't think that they feel like man we cannot go into the SEC as lame as this. If we can't win this league, you know, 
what makes us think we're going to go over here and sit with all these guys? And, you know, Brian Kelly's got LSU back and and uh, and what's happening at Georgia, what's happening at Alabama. You know, who knows what happens with Auburn, you know, with, with, the, with the new coach there. You know, I, I just really feel like that this is going to be uh, awful uh, for, for Texas and Oklahoma, at least to begin with. And I think that their attitude is and their fans' attitude is Really, I don't think they think we're going to go in there and dominate. I don't. I think they just think we just want to be in with all of these great schools and these great programs. We just want to be a part of all of that, and that's such a departure for Texas and Oklahoma. To, you know, Oklahoma just goes along with Texas, uh, but for Texas to act like that, they have to know we're not going to go in there. We can't even win the Big Twelve. How are we going to go over here and win the SEC and be competitive over there? And to hear you say Texas wants to be a part of something um, is is shocking because I think all we've ever heard is Texas wants to be a part from everything. So uh, the fact that they just want to be part of the what's the right word the um, the commune that is the SEC uh, is 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 surprising to hear. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm surely I, I know the egos involved here. They all think that oh, we just need to get the right coach in here, and we've got the we got Austin, we've got Texas, we've got it all. We can go, and, and that's all true. The problem is, is that other than Mac Brown, because you know everybody talks about the coaches lately, and we were discussing Texas last night when we were sitting around before the game, is that what has Texas done right other than Mac Brown, and you know since Daryl Royal left. I mean, it's really been one mediocre coach after another, uh, and and it's incumbent upon them to get this right. Uh, that's what I said, you know, about the Sarkeesian deal. You you can say what you want about Tom Herman; he was putting a better product on the field than Sark is. You know, Tom's problem was he he couldn't get along with anybody off the field, you know, and and he had the problems with the stupid eyes of Texas and all of that. Those are there are all these other controversies that really got Tom canned. And along with the fact that, you know, what happened to what you you did at Houston? Why couldn't you do that here? You know, Uh, well, then they go out and hire a guy who had been mediocre at Washington, mediocre at USC, had two nice years at Alabama as an offensive coordinator, and, and and at the University of Texas, they thought that was enough. I mean, I'd understand that hire if I was uh, if I was Houston. I don't understand that hire if I'm the University of Texas. You know, Texas did try to get Nick Saban at one time. Supposedly, that was a lot closer than everybody thinks it was. You know, it was just going to cost an awful lot of money, and apparently, they just did not want to go there. But that's the kind of coach that Texas has to go out and hire. You know, if Urban Meyer hadn't had fallen off the end of the of the world, you know, in in Jacksonville and, and done that stupid thing that got caught on the video, I, I wrote this that you should go out and hire Urban Meyer. That that's the kind of coach that Texas needs to have. That he's the one guy, not maybe he's not the one guy. He's the kind of guy who can coalesce all these you know disparate factions that you have at Texas and all the people who want to be in charge, all the people who want to have a say, because there is no, as far as I can tell, uh, there is no one booster who's doing that. Maybe Kevin Eltyf, the, the chairman of the board of regents is that guy now, but they don't have just one person in charge. They got too many in charge. And that's always been the problem at Texas. Everybody wants a piece of the action. 
So, and, and it, it, it's more of a problem at Texas than it is at most places. It certainly is more of a problem than it is in places in Texas. You, you don't have that at Oklahoma. There's, there's not that issue. Joe Castiglione makes a hire. That's his hire. He's the athletic director. And, and until Brent Venables, he was doing a pretty good job. But he did the same thing, in my estimation, in replacing Lincoln Riley. You, you hit it out of the park with Bob Stoops, who was the court, defensive coordinator at Florida. You hit it out of the park with Lincoln Riley, who was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. But then you went back to the well one too many times by, by hiring Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson. You know, I just don't think he's a head coach. I didn't think he was a particularly great defensive coordinator, not at Oklahoma. Uh, he, he did a great job at Clemson, but but maybe a lot of that was Dabo Swinney, you know, and the, and the recruits he was getting. So, uh, uh, you know, when you're in Oklahoma, when you're in Texas, you ought to be in the running for the for the best coaches you can get. And we can make fun of Texas A&M for all the money they they uh, threw at Jimbo Fisher and had, that didn't really worked out very well. I give them credit for at least for being bold. You know, they, they went out and, and hired a coach who won a national championship. And, and that should have worked out, I think, in my estimation. I'm not sure why it hasn't worked out. I'm not sure about all the reasons why it hadn't worked out at A&M. But I give them credit for being bold. Texas hasn't done that, you know. Big, like I said, the biggest hire they've made in the last forty years was was Mac Brown, and he was just the the head coach at a basketball school. I will say that is why you're Texas Sports Writer of the Year because I did not believe we would conclude this podcast talking about the Cowboys and TCU with Mac Brown. <laughs> <laughs> no one else could have brought it back to that. Brought it back to Mac. Uh, he was a great one. Uh, we 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 didn't know what we had when when Mac was here. He was a lot of fun to deal with. I get, I give him Matt more than anything else. At least at least he liked talking to us, you know. And that's all I really care about. <laughs> I go back to the Frank Luxa line about Barry Switzer. I don't care if he can coach or not. He's interesting. Uh, and I, I said, amen, pal. I'm with you 100%. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you coming on board. We'll be back next week, and we'll be talking about whether the Cowboys are on their way. They flipped the switch. This is just a bunch of crazy bunk, and they're going to the Super Bowl, or we're looking for a replacement for Mike McCarthy. That, that's going to be my take on this. We'll see whether that, whether that actually happens or not. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.